Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J.D. J. See, I don't even know my own name. It's J. Douglas Barker. <laughs> well, we've had one of those mornings. Uh, my author, who joins me from Vermont, has written a fascinating book. Her, t- her title, her name is C.C. Houghton, and the name of the book is Out of the Mouth of Babes, Christmas, Christian Witnessing Tools with a Twist. You definitely have a twist in this book. Uh, this this is unique because when I began reading it, I, I thought I'd be overwhelmed with uh, unusual dialogue about Christianity and faith and all that, which it is, but it's sort of a contemporary look at parables. Would that be the way to describe it? That would be a good way to describe it, yes. Yes. Wacky, wacky terrible parables. <laughs> <laughs> wacky might be also accurate because uh, I think the first first chapter uh, or first uh, parable is the terrible parable of the defective Afghan. Now, I was thinking about something you wear in the wintertime to keep warm, but that's not what you were talking about, is it? Well, it, that's what I started with, but then I went whopper jawed and got off into another subject of how uh, my husband and I both came to know the Lord. So it's uh, a little different. <laughs> it is different. Now, where did these ideas come from? I, I, I'm assuming because you are an author and uh, obviously a creative individual with a sense of humor. I, I think these uh, parables would be entertaining to a lot of people that read them. Would that be a way to describe it also? Absolutely. And it's it's a non-threatening way for people to put forth scriptural um, this, this scripture. Because people are a little antsy about listening to anything religious, but when they find out that it's pretty non-threatening, I've never had anybody reject them. Hmm. It's um, they weren't afraid of them after they read how whopper jawed they were. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing that does happen, and and I am happen to be a person that probably is on the same team as you are, uh, uh-huh. they they are reluctant to hear about Scripture, about faith, and, and about uh, journeys of faith, because they feel like you're going to stand there on the sidelines and be the, the judge, jury, and, uh, and, and maybe the referee at the same time in dealing with their personal life. And really, you don't look at life that way, I don't think, in the way you've approached this book. That's correct. That's correct. I have used these individual parables for many years. I started writing them when I was in a, um, a secretary for an attorney in, in uh, Rutland that didn't have enough uh, to keep me totally busy all the time. Mm-hmm. So he didn't care that I wrote these parables as long as I stayed in the office and answered the phone and did my did my thing. So <laughs> that's how it got started. Which of the parable titles do you think is the most uh, shocking or will get the attention of the, the, the of the looker who's at the bookstore thumbing through this book and say, what in the world is this about? What which which <laughs> chapter do you think is the most entertaining? Well the one I like the best is fifty years from now this won't matter. Mm. 
and I'll tell you the reason if you want to know. Absolutely. And it's because uh, I wrote that one and sent it to one of my boss's clients who was in jail for drug charges. And he called after he got that and let me know that after he got that terrible parable, he sat in his jail cell and stared at the wall for a good hour, thinking about what he had learned when he was a kid in Sunday school, mm. and he accepted Christ in his jail cell. Wow. So that's my very favorite one. I, I uh, as a, again, as a person that's on the same team playing for the same uh, leadership that you are, I, I find that uh, just fascinating and also inspiring at the same time. You obviously oh, had, you. had a motivation for writing this, and I think I know what it is. You've sort of shared it at this point. Uh, was there anything else that motivated you to complete this? Yes. My husband... I met him when I started working in in the cop shop in uh, well years and years and years ago, mm. and when he, I first told him that I was going to have missionaries stay at my home for a few days, he said, "Mercenaries, you mean? Mm. They're what they live off of what they can beg of other people's money," mm. and from that we started talking about Christianity and biblical things, and three years later, he came to me and said, I don't know why he would do it for somebody like me, but I know Christ died for me. Wow. And so when he was dying in uh, a year and a half ago, he wanted everybody to know how Christ had changed his life. So I'm putting this out so that I can share his story and hopefully let other people share the parables and bring other people to know Christ, because that was Doug's main purpose in life for the last four months when he was alive. What a beautiful uh, legacy to leave, not only for you and for others to read, but I'm guessing also for family members. Uh, they are gravitating towards this book. How has it impacted them? You know, I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I don't usually ask people, you know, what they think of them. I just pass them out mm. and say, okay, Lord, here's a, here's a seed. Do what you want with it. And that's how I've been doing it for years. So have these always been in, in written form, or have you uh, been giving them in um, uh, speeches or in teaching uh, settings? It's always been in written form. Really? I send them along with, when I pay a bill, I'll send them along. Um, if I'm out running around and I have a chance, I'll ask somebody if I can give them a terrible parable, and usually their response is, a terrible parable, what's that? So I give them one. <laughs> and, and it's been an amazingly easy way to witness. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Well, I, it's. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What I was going to say, there's many of those in the church, including myself, that uh, feel like you have to go out and sell the gospel, that you have to go out and buttonhole people. And if you don't, then you have a, a sort of a guilt feeling about it because 
you have a precious gift that you want to share, but you don't know how to to uh, to get it out of the uh, into the marketplace. So this is a beautiful way to do it. I, I I like what you're doing. I think this is a, a marvelous way. I have a oh, thank you. I, I have a tool that I have uh, had in my portfolio for a number of years that I haven't been able to act on, and maybe we'll talk about it after after we get done the interview. Uh, there, there are there are ways to to share the gospel and share positive uh, have a positive impact on people's lives, whether they accept, reject, or just go along for the ride. Uh, this is a way to do it, and uh, you to be you're to be commended about uh, about how you're doing this. You have one called the terrible parable of a chip off the old block, and what what is that about? That seems intriguing. Oh, let me think. Um... That was from nineteen sixty eight. You you uh, are a person that keeps uh, keeps notes, uh, has a diary, and all of that. Is that something that you have uh, practiced all of your life? Uh, well, actually, when the kids were born, I started a diary, and whenever they would do something off the wall or cute or really stinky nasty, <laughs> which they did at times, <laughs> I would write it down in that book. And then years later, I used that book as a starting, a jumping off point to write the parables. Beautiful. Now, the 72 pages, how long did it take you to assemble all of this? Uh, well, actually, it really didn't take me that long to do that because I had them all written out before, so I just threw them all together in a in a one thing and shipped it out. So it was pretty simple to do, actually. Well, the title certainly is uh, is one that is familiar to a lot of people out of the mouth of babes, and you have on the on the cover a picture of a bright looking young man named Brian, age three. Is that a yep. family member? That is. He is he is one of them that I used in the terrible parables all the time and he was a cute little guy. He's still a cute little guy, but he's a lot older now. He's in his fifties. <laughs> is he still speaking to you after sharing his story? <laughs> yes, he is. Wow. He's, uh, all my kids are really good kids. So I I'm really proud of every one of them. So um but then I, I think that's normal, right? <laughs> I think it is. I, I mean, everybody's, everybody's child, almost everybody's child is the best in the neighborhood. Uh, that's right. <laughs> especially if he's a preacher's kid, which I am. So, uh, <laughs> how many children do you have? Uh, two naughty ones. Yes, I have. <laughs> Okay. They they need a lot of prayer and counseling. No, they. I think it's because of the parenting. I'm not not because of uh, their choices in life. Uh, Vermont again. That uh, struck me. You live in Vermont, and most, at least from what I have heard, and maybe it's because I'm currently living in Texas. I'm originally from Canada. Uh, Canada has gone has has, uh, has gone off the rails, and uh, you kind of assume that Vermont is is off the rails as far as faith and uh, conservative thinking about faith. Uh, you, you're I won't say an oddity, but you certainly surprised me that you're from Vermont and and have a strong faith in Christ. Yes. I, it's not the general thing up here. It's that's true, but we're working to change it. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I, I I love I love the way you've approached uh, the telling of stories and have contemporized uh, faith thought in parables that will get people's attention. It's not the stodgy reading of scripture or the stodgy uh, King Jimmy version of uh, of. Uh, the parables of the New Testament that we're familiar with. This is a contemporary uh, explanation of 
ideas that really are in parable form but have a deep-seated meaning that uh, can inspire and change people's lives. Uh, Oh, that's what I'm hoping for. If this book brings one person to know Christ as Savior, it has served its purpose. It's... That's all I want. That's all Doug wanted. It's all I want. I just want to bring people to know the Lord because it changed my life, too. Again, the beautiful thing about this is uh, you're not going to feel preached at. Uh, if you are a person that uh, is even an agnostic, you'll find the stories engaging and, and even charming and uh, maybe even amusing at times. Uh, this is not the typical religious book, is it? No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> Uh, and and do people think of you as an odd person because you uh, don't don't seem very conservative in your uh, viewpoints, or, or are they embracing that? Uh, most people embrace it because um, they know me, and that that is my sense of humor that is coming out all over the place. And um, I have a wonderful church family, and. They all tolerate me, so I think that's wonderful. <laughs> well, that again is another miracle that's, uh, I guess, a part of the the uh, instances of this book. Carolyn, this is a, a wonderful book and certainly one that would be great for the church family, if you want to call them that, and uh, anybody that really wants an amusing or fun read and also maybe one that will spark an interest in, in uh, making them think about life a little bit better. Right. That's my that's my object. A seed dropping is the Lord uses that so differently in in so many people. I had a seed dropped on my life when I was a sophomore in high school that God kept in my mind until I was twenty eight years old and finally came to know the Lord as Savior. Wow. So I figure if we drop enough seeds. God can use them. Beautifully said, and uh, to use a church phrase, that's a great testimony. That's a wonderfully, uh, wonderful way to to look at life, not only philosophically, but also from a spiritual perspective. Uh, the title of the book, Thank again, you. is Out of the Mouth of Babes, yep. Christian Witnessing Tools with a Twist, and my author, C.C. Houghton has uh, joined me from Vermont, and surprisingly so, she's uh, maintaining the faith. Thank you so much for for joining me. Where where do they get copies of this book, Carolyn? Uh, It's on Amazon.com, and it used to—I'm not sure if it's still on— Oh, Gussie, what was the name of that place that they said it was going to be on? Um, but it's definitely on Amazon, and it's it's on an ebook also if they want ebook. Fabulous. And, and what I want people to know too is that it's copyrighted in the book. I had to copyright it, but I also give people permission to make copies and give it to anyone they want, wow. because that's the purpose of the whole book is to share. So um, you know if they. Just go online and grab one and share it. That's great, too. I don't care. Spam the world. That's the way I look at it. Yes. No, but not, this, is not really, this is not really spamming. This is this is encouraging them. And, uh, again, the author, C, initial C, C, Houghton, H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. And uh, that will, uh, that will uh, bring up this book, and I'm sure with your... 
uh, vividness and, and love of life, there may be a, another book coming in the near future. Is that something you might be working on? Uh, I think about it every once in a while, but... <laughs> then you get over it. <laughs> and the, the one on prophecy that I have written is Swapper Jawed too. so... <laughs> wow. Well, I'd, love, I'd love to read that. I have, uh, I have uh, some connections with people who uh, really focus on that particular study, so that would be fascinating to read as well. Uh, thank you again. You thank you, Carolyn. It's great visiting with you to this morning. Again, the title of the book is Out of the Mouth of Babes, author C.C. Houghton. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. My pleasure for Author House and Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching to military resources to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts... Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, The True Plan of Salvation Unveiled, told through the nursery rhyme, Little Bo Peep. A homecoming story about the children of Israel and Gentiles is the subtitle, told very plainly, and uh, my author who joins me from near Shreveport, Louisiana, is Jackie Simmons. Welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. I actually live in Shreveport. You do live in Shreveport. Well, I, I've lived there in yes. my past life, but uh, it's a great town. It's great, actually a great town, to, and some of my best yes. friends are still there. You have a background as a science teacher, uh, yes, physical, I do. environmental, I and biology. Yes, yeah. Yes, and yet you chose to write this book. There, There's a passion also in uh, revealing this, what you call the true plan of salvation. Uh, what what was the motivation behind it? Why did you decide you wanted to write a book that's over 260 pages in length and uh, do all the research and the hard lifting to get this uh, published? First, I want to say it was in my heart. It was in my heart. But what inspired my heart to write it was my son. I was inspired to write this book when my son turned away from the commandments of God and which he had been taught from a child. I could not reach him, and I felt like Little Bo Peep who had lost her sheep. And I began quoting the nursery rhyme, Little Bo Peep, after we had had an argument. First, um, first, I first applied the nursery rhyme to raising children. However, years later, since I was taught the true plan of salvation uh, for all nations as a college student, I applied the nursery rhyme to the true plan of salvation. In John 4:23, God said, 
but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God wants true worshipers to worship him. God wants all of us on the same page. God hates religious division. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, God said, Now beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that he be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and the same, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly drawn together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God wants no religious divisions among us, and he wants us to be of the same mind and to speak the same thing religiously. God gave one message to 12 disciples to tell all nations. The 12 disciples spoke the same thing to all the nations they spoke to. Well, there's obviously so, obviously what you described was a unity in the foundations of the uh, this the, the church as it was set up in or set up as it began to develop in the book of Acts. When you wrote this book, uh, over two hundred and some pages, who did you think this would appeal to, and and uh, was the was the research and all of that kind of complicated? No, the research wasn't complicated because um, after I obeyed the gospel. We were taught the truth. I was taught the truth. Um, but basically, the book appeals to everyone who wants to know the truth about the plan of salvation, including children. God said he wants true worshipers to worship him. God said in Second Thessalonians 2, 18 through 12, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 18 through 12, And then shall that wicked be revealed, who the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Because people do not believe the truth about the plan of salvation, God has sent strong delusion, delusion, and the world is largely deluded because they refuse to believe the truth. However, Romans chapter 10, verse 2 2 through 3 says, For I bear their record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for they bring for for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God the world is going its own way as acts chapter 14 verse 16 said of all nations God suffered all nations to walk in their own ways however in acts chapter 2 verse 38 God has commanded all nations to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In the closing of this question, I say this book appeals to children also, but my focus in writing this book is mainly for adults or for those men and women 
who are 20 years old and above. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, God said, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 5.14 says, And believers were the more added to to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. I believe these men and women were baptized, who were baptized, were 20 years old and above. Romans 15.4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We live under the New Testament, but the age of accountability in the Old Testament was 20 years old and above. Exodus chapter 30 verse 14 says, Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. After these men and women were baptized, they were added to the Lord's church, the church of Christ in the New Testament. One does not join the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the scripture says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the scripture says the people who had been baptized were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I believe these men and women who were baptized were 20 years old and above. These men and women who were baptized on the day of Pentecost. However, after we obey the truth, God asked us to the church. God asked us to his son's church, the Church of Christ. Okay. So, how, how long did it take you to complete this? Uh, there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, work gone into this. Uh, and, and when you finished it, what did you want the reader to take away from uh, your book? To take away? Um, I want the readers to know the true plan of salvation for all nations and to understand God does not want us to be religiously divided. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, there were contentions among the people, and they were saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. This is like people today saying, I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm Methodist, I'm Muslim, or I am Church of Christ. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, God said, let there be no divisions among you. Speak the same things. Be of the same mind. So my plea is for everyone to be on the same page religiously. Very, very important uh, that there is uh, a lack, there certainly is a lack of unity among, we'll call them denominations, uh, those who profess Christianity. Uh, Some, uh, you know, like to do church one way and some like to do it another way. But being on the same page is is really important. And uh, you have uh, certainly put a lot of passion and time into uh, creating this book. Is there anything else in the marketplace that approaches this subject material the same way that you've approached it? What sets it apart? Um, set the book apart. Um, um, you've uh, mentioned the um, nursery, nursery rhyme. Is that something that's important to you and, and in how you've approached okay. it? 
Well, what I would like to say is um, I would like to highlight the importance of obeying God's word and not doing things our way. God told Moses and Aaron to speak to the rock, to bring forth water for the people. Instead of Moses speaking to the rock, he hit the rock with the rod and brought forth water. This displeased God, and he said to Moses and Aaron in Numbers 20, um, 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 uh, verse 12, Because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you should not bring this congregation unto the land which I have given them. Because of Moses and Aaron's disobedience in not speaking to the rock to bring forth water, as God had commanded them to do, God did not allow them to enter into the land he had given to the children of Israel. God called Moses and Aaron home. I would like to say in the New Testament, some of the children did not, children of Israel did not enter into God's rest, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrew 4, 6. And they to whom it was first preached, uh, the children of Israel, entered not in because of unbelief. After the gospel had been preached unto them, they believed it not and did not enter into God's rest because of unbelief. In addition, I would like to highlight in the New Testament, when one adds or take away from God's word, Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 through 19 says, what God will do to him or her as follows. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I would like to highlight the importance of obeying God's word and not the tradition of men. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I would also like to highlight that when all nations obey the gospel, we are all one in Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, God says through Paul, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. When all nations obey the gospel and are true worshipers of God, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, Of all nations, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. When all nations are on the same page, we are all one in Christ. This is what God wants for all nations, to be one in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, God spoke to Paul and said he wants all of us to come in the unity of the faith. Um, 
you uh, you, you have friends and and acquaintances I'm sure that uh, know you as a, an earth science teacher but those that are just discovering you're an author or have written this book, how would you describe this? Uh, how would you introduce this book to them? How would I introduce the book? Um, I tell people God does not like religious division. And I, fo- and I quote First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 to get their attention. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God wants no religious division among us, and he wants all nations to be one in Christ Jesus. God wants religious unity in the one faith. Your book is different from others, and one part of that is the Little Bo Peep uh, analogy. Uh, Why did you share that? What sets it apart? Um, This book is unlike others because the true plan of salvation is told through the nursery rhyme, Little Bo Peep. Through the nursery rhyme, this book tells how the children of Israel turn from their disobedience to God and come home to God through Jesus Christ. It also tells through the nursery rhyme how the Gentiles come home to God through Jesus Christ as well. There are basically two main stories in part one about the children of Israel and about the Gentiles. In telling the true plan of salvation through the nursery rhyme, Little Bo Peep set this book apart from other books. And your book covers the Old and New Testament uh, scriptures, and uh, from your description, you call it exciting, mesmerizing, and and a good book, a good read. What was the most challenging part of this read? What was the most fun and rewarding? Okay, first I would like to say um, others have told me my book was, uh, my book is exciting, mesmerizing, and good, um, such as preachers, uh, black and white preachers, other people, other members, black and white, um, who have read it. So I've gotten really good compliments about the book. So those words, exciting, mesmerizing, and good, came from others and not from myself. But um, the most challenging part of the book was when I was proofing the section of the book uh, entitled um, The Diminished Power of Satan. As I was proofing this section... The words of the entire book disappeared and were replaced by vertical and horizontal lines on the pages. The words were gone. The book was gone. Mm. It scared me, and I could not bring the words back to the pages of the book. I started saying out loud, Jesus, 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 and the words eventually came back to the book, and the vertical and horizontal lines uh, disappear. I thought I had lost the book completely and forever. That was scary. It was about 5 o'clock a.m. in the morning, and I was scared. That was the most challenging part about writing this book, when I was proofing the part that said, The Diminished Power of Satan. Mm. That's, uh, that is a very frightening event. Uh, the most uh, fun part you've described is... Uh, plugging in that little Bo Peep analogy and making it part of your 
of your uh, research and your explaining the true plan of salvation. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet? Is there anything else that you want to share with my audience that will get them interested in your book? Yes. The one thing I have not covered is answering the question um, people are asked about their religion. People are asked, what faith are you? God says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. God believes in ones. There is only one faith. I would also like to add, after I learned the truth about the plan of salvation, I was rebaptized at the age of 25 years old. After first being baptized at the age of 11, according to religious era, I went to a revival one night during the week, and I went forward at the invitation at the end of the sermon, and the leaders of the church told me to come back that Sunday to be baptized for an outward show. I did, and I was first baptized at age 11. However, after learning the truth about the plan of salvation, I learned baptism is so important that it doesn't matter the day or the time of day one one is baptized. I learned the truth about the plan of salvation and baptism, and I was rebaptized at age 25 on a Monday about 7 o'clock in the evening. I was at the age of accountability, according to Romans 15.4, which says things were written uh, aforetime, were written for our learning. And I believe the men and women who were baptized on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament were 20 years old and above. Of note, babies cannot confess Jesus is the Son of God. They do not know who Jesus Christ is. Confessing Jesus Christ is the Son of God is one of the five requirements for salvation. Therein, the five requirements to obey, to be saved, are to hear the gospel, believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repent of one's sins, confess Jesus is the Son of God, and be baptized. Baptism is the fifth requirement for salvation. As of note, God did not say, accept God in your heart for salvation uh, or invite him into your heart. However, in John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejected me and received not my words had one that judged him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Thereby, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Well, thank so, you, thank you, Jackie, for that extensive and uh, complete overview of your book. It is 260-some pages, uh, 
I'm sure there's a, a lot of uh, material in there that we haven't covered in this interview, but I will suggest this to those that have uh, small groups or are teachers or even pastors. There's a, a lot of uh, material in here that can be used as a research place for them to not only understand what the concept is of your book, but also perhaps be inspired to a deeper understanding of Scripture. The title of the book, again, is The True Plan of Salvation Unveiled. And my author, who's joined me from Shreveport, Louisiana, is author Jackie Simmons. Jackie, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Um, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's on, on Barnes & Noble website. Uh, it's on Books a Million website. So it's online right now. And if you live in Shreveport, uh, the book is in the downtown Shreveport uh, uh, library branch. The Broadmoor, the David Rains, the Moortown, and the Hamilton South Libraries. So you can go there and check out the book there in in um, uh, in Shreveport. But uh, otherwise, the book is online right now uh, at those uh, those websites, those book websites. Absolutely great, and they can request it from their local bookseller by ja- by uh, requesting it under your name, Jackie J A C K I E, last name S I M M O N S, and the title of the book again: yes. "The True Plan of Salvation Unveiled." Jackie, thank you for sharing your story and uh, sharing the passion that you have in getting this message out and uh, sharing your faith. And thank you for um, having me um, to interview. I really appreciate it because. It's my, my prayer is for the world to know the truth and for the world to all get on the same page and for all of us to do as God, as Jesus Christ wants us to do. Excellent admonition. For Author House and Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bona fide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinarian Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become bruxomaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A bruxomaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The New Christianity. Is Jesus at the Helm? And joining me from Florida is the author, Ricky D. Carraway. Dr. Carraway is now joining me. Thank you for, for being a part of today's program, sir. Well, thank you, Jay. I'm glad to be with you. Well, share, me a little, share, share with my listeners a little of your background. You have a diverse background, at least starting out. Uh, you did spend some time in military service. Uh, share with my listeners a little of that and how you became a 
pastor and a uh, and received a doctor of divinity degree. Yes, it began when I was a young lad. At the age of uh, 13, I became a Christian and uh, had a neighbor down the street. Uh, he was my best friend and his father was a pastor. So, of course, uh, I hung with him and I kind of did what he did. And uh, he went to church all the time. So I went to church all the time. And uh, I had more of a relationship as far as being involved in the church and the church activities. And I think at that time, internally, I uh, was not as developed. But as I uh, went on to graduate from uh, high school, I enlisted in the United States Navy. There, I spent uh, two tours. I did eight years. And I began to uh, develop uh, my Christian relationship a little bit more uh, deeper. Mm. And at that time, I... Uh, Initially went to uh, Hawaii Pacific University, and then upon uh, being discharged uh, from the United States Navy, uh, I, I went to school and did my bachelor's and master's at Nova. I joined the church um, there and uh, worked my way up. Uh, and for nine years, I was a assistant pastor. And at that time, when I was assistant pastor, I decided to go to Liberty University, where I received my master's and evangelism and church planting. And then I went to Andersonville and uh, received my doctorate of theology. And uh, I, at that time, started a church uh, named A Life Changing Ministry in uh, 2009, and I've been the pastor there ever since. An exciting, exciting story of your history. Uh, in the military, it's sometimes difficult to retain uh, your, uh, we'll call it what most people call it in Christianity, uh, your testimony of faith. Was that a challenge for you, or is that something that uh, you you had a good foundation to begin with? Well, it, it was a bit, uh, you know, challenging because, um, you know, you have a tendency to uh, be around those that uh, you are connected with on a daily basis. And so you have a tendency to kind of do what everybody else does. Uh, but I think at that particular time, uh, it allowed me to also understand the areas of Christianity uh, that is away from the church, but yet relational. Uh, when we get a chance to uh, reach out and meet different different people of different backgrounds, different uh, nationalities. And so that was a strength for me. And at the same time, it afforded me the opportunity to learn how to uh, have some integrity in the things that I did. So that was a great moment as well. The title of your book, The New Christianity is Jesus at the Helm. That uh, certainly in its own uh, statement, uh, causes a, a question mark to come up. And now, are you advocating that there is or should be a new Christianity, or are you contending for what's called the traditional faith? Well, the way that I looked at it is, I use the term, uh, you know, new Christianity, really to uh, describe those who has really taken uh, the standardized or the term uh, old Christianity and began to uh, manipulate it to uh, change it. Uh, to um, fit the uh, mindset or, you know, the way they see things, the way they feel. And and I think that that is a large part, uh, increasingly, it's becoming a larger part of uh, the Christian faith. And uh, I begin to explain that whole phenomenon. So that's why I've written that book. 
and it, it actually deals with the desire of uh, I'll use the in the in the church term political correctness the the, the term of uh, assimilating our ideas and the ideas of our environment into the church community it it uh, does tend to do away with the traditional view of sin or separation or relationship does it not well uh, exactly um, exactly because uh it's true that, you know, the society that we live in uh, uh, bears a great uh, uh, burden upon us, uh, carries a great uh, weight upon us, and uh, it's the uh, environment that we live in, and it bears upon us uh, a great deal. And it has a way of formulating and uh, shaping your ideology, uh, because we spend a majority of our time uh, in society, and only a small portion of that do we spend in the church. So uh, if you're not careful, your uh, Christian ethics would tend to mimic uh, the way that you live in society, and uh, it'll shape your political uh, views and things of that nature. So I think that uh, right now it can be a dangerous time Um and we have a tend to kind of walk away and uh, or set aside uh, the traditional view of Christianity. In your book, The New Christianity, you uh, deal with several subjects and uh, obviously are foundational and basic in your um, theology, if I may describe it that way. Uh, Dr. Carraway, who was it that you you thought would not only enjoy this book but be challenged by its content? Uh, who did you have in mind when you wrote this? Well, when I uh, wrote this book originally, uh, I was thinking about all of the many uh, philosophies of those who are really uh, outside the Christian wall, but yet they uh, wanted a relationship and they wanted to be associated with, uh, quote, the word God. And uh, But their views was the type of views that they wanted a Christianity that will uh, mimic uh, their ideal and not the Christianity that uh, was built upon uh, Jesus Christ. Mm. And I think that that's a real tragedy uh, because when that happens, we have a tendency uh, to evaporate or do away uh, with the God whom as we know it, and we uh, essentially just become a people who have uh, serving a God that they created and not a God that created them. There are a lot of philosophies that have in, uh, invaded the personality of our culture, including the church, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming from what I have observed. Uh, some of the music and other things. Of course, I'm a traditionalist in, in my uh, observations and uh, uh, have found that there is a desire to mimic what they're seeing in society and bring it into the church and really homogenize the philosophy, the teaching, and the doctrine of the church so that it fits in with everybody so they don't offend anyone. Your book uh, deals with that and uh, talks about how is the church responding? Is Jesus navigating our churches? And then you go back to Scripture, I write to you little children, which is taken from Scripture. Uh, do you feel like there's a real need to get back to the basics in, in how you've outlined your book? Exactly. Uh, there is a great need uh, to get back to the basics. And, you know, uh, 
society uh, has a way of providing a lot of things. Uh, we have uh, technology. Uh, we have scientific uh, research and medical research, which intend to provide a lot of things that uh, in the olden days that uh, people prayed for and, mm. and waited on. And so every time when we increase in uh, scientific research, it have a tendency uh, to deny or cover up uh, the things that God uh, normally has been doing for us or things that we have been praying for. And uh, if we are not kept abreast in our churches and taught uh, these things at an early stage, uh, that we should look forward really to uh, knowledge increasing. And uh, that is really the plan of God. You know, God has given man the ability to expand with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Uh, and so really, in one sense, we should thank God uh, for giving us that, you know, those abilities. But in another sense, uh, we should keep our faith uh, in tune uh, with that same level of doctrine and not seek to expand uh, that area. You have 18 chapters or 18 uh, areas of uh, focus, 110 pages. Were there challenges in writing this? Uh, you're, again, living in a, a society that is, um, I guess, uh, looks at Christianity, looks at church as maybe a necessary part of society, but not, not necessarily something to embrace. Were there challenges for you in writing this? Yes, I would say that that certainly was. And, and I, I would probably say that the most challenging part of writing this book was to separate you know, fact from fiction and ensuring that, uh, you know, proper research was done to uh, support the information uh, that I was bringing about. Uh, because in the church today, we have a lot of, you know, how we feel or the way that we see things, mm-hmm. or even our denominational uh, preferences or even, even our geographical location uh, bears a lot of weight in how we make our decisions. And if we are not careful, then we will look at things and embrace things based upon uh, what uh, side of the track that we was uh, living on, uh, uh, the nationalities that we are. And uh, and when that happens, then we become a Christianity that is based upon geographical location rather than an infinite uh, word, written word that was given to us. Uh, would, and would, certainly, of course, there's a rewarding part. Sure. Would you would you think this book might be a book that could be used in what is called small groups or in a teaching setting, as well as uh, being something that the individual could read and study from? Uh, yes, I do. But because I, you know, my uh, intention also was to uh, bring about that uh, grassroots level of understanding of uh, Christianity in a plain context. Um because God has given us and uh, and spoken to us about everything that he wants us to know about him. And uh, the biblical text uh, was not designed to uh, teach us about all the other entities in our society. It was uh, definitely uh, to teach us uh, how to have a relationship with God. And it's a blueprint for life according uh, to his word. And so... I think this book is a great fit for that. It keeps us grounded uh, to truth, and 
you know, not being biased because we hold uh, one particular denomination or non-denomination over another. Well, that's that's a good uh, bit of inspiration that you're sharing with uh, with the listeners right now. Recap for me two of the chapters, the one that says the dangers of new Christianity and then spring cleaning in the church. How would you describe those two chapters and what is the significance of its content? Well, the significance of that, uh, when I mentioned, you know, spring cleaning, you know, just like uh, every now and then there, there come a time in, in your own home when you have to really what we call, you know, spring cleaning, we go and we clean everything. And I think that we have to look at periodically the way that we do everything in church, uh, the way that we uh, select our leaders, um, the expectations uh, that we have of our leaders, what we hold of them to, um, the information that we provide, uh, the time, uh, that we provide the information, uh, and we have to look at the results. We have to be result-oriented. Um, we have to be effective. Uh, everything that we do, if we are not effective, then uh, it's, it's a wash. And uh, so I'm a big uh, proponent uh, of that. And if we're going to uh, be committed uh, to what God wants us to do, and that commitment will cause us to be effective. And so we have to bring all our values, we have to bring all our morals to bear according to what God uh, is, is saying in the way that God wants us to do things. And I believe that we have to clean up here, clean up there, and we have to hold our leaders accountable. Uh, we have to hold people accountable uh, at every level. And uh, they need to know that uh, being a Christian, especially being a Christian Leader is a reward to be there, but at the same time, it comes by fitness and not favoritism. Absolutely great advice. You have uh, also researched this book. This is not just all uh, scripture and opinion uh, that's that's included. You have uh, taken, for example, a post-Christian individual uh, analysis that uh, has a, a survey, a study that was done by the Barna Report and have identified things that would identify an individual and a, a society as a post-Christian environment. And uh, some of those uh, are pretty shocking. And, and they say things like uh, they identify as an atheist or agnostic. Eighty percent, perhaps, of this country may uh, identify with one or more of these uh, eight or ten different uh, analogies that are outlined in your book. You've done a great job in doing so and uh, have outlined it well. I would certainly recommend this to pastors and uh, leaders in the Christian environment in churches and also those who may have a curiosity what in the world is going on with the church and what does this title mean again the title the new christianity is jesus at the helm something that is a challenging a challenging statement to make now dr caraway my listeners need to get a copy of this how do they do so well they can go to Arthur house uh, publication uh or they can uh go on the internet and just type in uh, the title of the book uh, they can uh, attach my name to it as well, or either way, uh, it will come up. And at the various locations, uh, every bookstore uh, uh, carries the book, or if they don't have it, uh, they can uh, get it for them. 
Very good. And certainly. Yes, they, they can order it, order it in by the author's name, Ricky D. Carraway, C-A-R-R-A-W-A-Y, T-H-D. You can order it in by the author's name or by the title of the book, The New Christianity is Jesus at the Helm. Dr. Carraway, thank you for sharing your story and your time with us today and uh, inspiring us to think about our foundations of faith that are very important in the United States of America and should be around the world. Thank you again for for being a part of today's program. Well, Jay, I certainly thank you very much uh, for the interview, and uh, I I thank those that uh, also have the opportunity to listen to it, and I hope that uh, they'll find this book rewarding and beneficial. We just thank you so much. Pleasure visiting with you for Author Talk and Author House. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.